So we said uh, Bible doctrine changes your life. And that is uh, one of the things that Bible doctrine does for you. We started many weeks ago asking this question, why, why do we learn Bible doctrine? And uh, we gave a number of things. In fact, the first time I started, I think I gave you 18 things that the Bible says Bible doctrine will do for you. But uh, when it came right down to it, we came to this place uh, where, we, where we decided that there'd be three that we emphasized week in and week out. Now for about the last six times we've talked about this on Sunday nights, we've looked at these three things. And tonight and for the next few times, I want to keep them before you. I want you to, to be able to tell me uh, or, or anybody if somebody says, why, why does it matter to learn Bible doctrine? I want you to be able to tell them. Uh, well, I know one thing, Bible doctrine will change your life. Romans 16, 6 verse 17 tells you so. Christians in America are so shallow. We don't know what we believe and we don't know why we believe, why we believe what we don't know what we believe. And so uh, I want to help us to, to, I can't fix all of America, but, but I can help the people that God has uh, made me responsible for by his grace. So, Bible doctrine changes your life. Now, one more thing by way of big picture review, and then we're going to go to another kind of review quickly. But, um, and that is that theology, well, can anybody tell me, theology is the what? Oh, wow, that's music to my ears right there. You've been listening. Thank you. Wonderful. Theology is the study of God. That's not only the essence of what theology is, it's the meaning of the word theology. Theology is the study of God. All right? So we, we spoke weeks and weeks ago about the existence of God and talked about uh, how the Bible doesn't make any case whatsoever to prove the existence of God. No place in the Bible where you, where you find this explanation of this is why we know there is a God and this is how there has to be a God and so forth. All kinds of writers have done that over the last 2,000 plus years. But the Bible doesn't do that at all. The Bible just says, in the beginning, God, and we go from there. And uh, a lot of reasons we talked about that, why uh, the Bible doesn't, doesn't use any ink to try to prove to us the existence of God. And then we move to the attributes of God. And then we said there's two, two kinds of attributes of God. Now, the, uh, depending on whose theology you read, whose systematic theology you read, uh, different theologians break these attributes into different categories. Some of the more common categories are God's natural attributes and his moral attributes. But then there's other theologians that don't like that at all because they can ex- they explain both those things and say, oh, that's, that doesn't fit. And uh, so we, we went a different direction, and I didn't make this up, but uh, we, we went this, the, the, um, the, what's the name of the theologian? Uh, Harold Wilmington. Uh, he breaks it down, as do several others, into it, the word they use is communicable, attributes of God and non-communicable attributes of God. I'm not in love with that word, so we went with transferable attributes of God and non-transferable attributes of God. And for the last six or five or six Sunday nights when we've talked on this subject, we have discussed the non-transferable attributes of God, meaning attributes that God can't pass on 
to his creation. And the best examples I can think of are omniscience, omnipresence. Now, we looked at a bunch, and I'll read you the list again before we jump into new stuff tonight. But these are, let's read the list and just think about how these are things that are true of God that his creation can't emulate. We can't share in this. These are God's, all right? Let me read you the list. Non-transferable attributes of God. Attributes that cannot be shared by his creation. God is spirit. God is invisible. God is one. That doctrine is called the unity of God. God is perfect. God is eternal. God is a trinity. God is self-existent. God is infinite. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is immutable. God is incomprehensible. God is light. God is glorious. God is unique. And that's where we ended last time. Tonight we're going to jump into the transferable attributes of God. We're only going to look at one attribute, but before we get there, I want us to, I want you to think about this thing. God has some attributes. Okay, you're never going to be omnipresent. Bummer, right? But these are some things that you can be and should be, and you can become, and God will enable you to Become. Now, you will never be, these things that we're going to talk about, God is the embodiment of these things. You'll never be the embodiment of these things, but you can impart, you can share in these qualities. Let's talk about that for just a minute. And let's see, before we, we do, let's, um, no, I'll get there in a minute. So just keep listening. All right. The transferable attributes of God are those characteristics of God that can be shared with his creation. Now, time out. Before you go to sleep or get up and get angry and leave like Brother Steve is doing, before you go into snooze land, all right, let me, let me help you connect what we're talking about to your daily interaction with God. You, you try to go to the place of prayer. And it's the one time of your day that, if you're doing it right, there's no distractions. Man, when you go to the place of prayer, put that stinking phone away. Don't answer a text. Don't read a text. Don't put, put your phone where you can't even hear that you have a text. When you go to God in prayer, don't, don't have anything... That can, that can grab your attention. That's hard. It's hard. I, you, it's, so, uh, it's not unusual at all that I go to prayer. I like to pray right here. I pray on that second seat in the front row. And uh, it's not the only place I pray, but it's one of my favorite places to just kneel and pray. And I mean, you wouldn't believe how many times I'm kneeling there and all of a sudden, you know, the UPS truck comes down the driveway. And I'm like, oh, i got to get that package, you know. And what do I do? It's, it's unbelievable how consistently the, the phone will ring or somebody will knock at the door. 
So I'm just saying to you, do your very best to get those distractions out of there. Okay, so you get the distractions out of the way. There's nothing singing in your ear. There's nothing playing in front of your eyes. There's no moving screen. It's just you in the silence. And that's a weird experience for us these days. You in the silence before God. And here's, what, here's immediately what your flesh, flesh, your flesh tells you. How can I talk to him? I can't see him. What can I focus on? I'll tell you, when I was first learning to pray, that was one of my big challenges. What can I focus on if I can't see him? I can't hear his voice. What is there to focus on? And here's your answer. You focus not on what your God looks like. What color are his eyes? What color is his hair? No. You focus on who he is. And you talk to him about who he is. Let's just take something random off this list. Eternal. So I go to my knees and I say, oh God. I don't understand eternity. But I believe you are the eternal God. Eternal. God, I I don't comprehend that. But that means that you never had a beginning. And you will never have an ending. I don't get that, Lord. I don't get that. But that sure is awesome. Oh, God, I can't believe that right here and now I get to kneel here and talk to a God who is so massive you're bigger than time. You'll forget all about the fact that you don't know what color God's hair is. And I'm using a silly, you know, God of spirit. I heard there's, there's one and, you know, everybody thinks they know definitively. And so they state it very emphatically and dogmatically. But, but um, I read one Puritan writer. I don't know how you're going to be with this. But he said, don't expect that you're going to get to heaven and see God the Father. I hope I'm not messing you up right now. I'm just telling you what this guy said. He, and here's what he said. He said, Jesus Christ is the only God you're ever going to see with your physical eyes. All right, now how are you going to think about anything else I'm going to say the rest of the time? I just gave you something major to ponder right there. By the way, I, let me tell you, I read that a month ago, and I'm still not sure what I think about it. Because I've always pictured, there's God the Father, and there's Jesus next to him. But anyway, let's see if we can not be, I, this is a, this is a great uh, homiletical rule I just broke. Don't distract your crowd. And that's what I just did. I gave you a major distraction, and now I'm telling you, forget about it. Let's go on to something else. But the reason I went down that road is because I was jokingly say, what color is God's hair? And when I say that, we're talking about Jesus Christ. What did Jesus look like? Did he, you know, did he look like the guy in, um, in uh, the Bible series from a couple of years ago? Yeah, I think that's what Jesus looked like. Did he look like the guy just the other day? I was looking, uh, I, don't, I don't know, what, what, some crazy up high channel, and it had uh, Johnny Cash doing his uh, New Testament thing, Life of Jesus. 
Maybe he looks like that. That Jesus is totally blonde-haired and blue-eyed, you know. <laughs> and uh, does he look like that? And let me tell you something. When you focus on this idea of God is eternal, let's go with something else. God is self-existent. Oh, man, just stay there in God's presence right there and just talk to him about that. Lord, what does that mean? Self? Nothing else in the history of history of the universe has ever been truly self-existent. Only you. And it doesn't mean you created yourself because you're, you've never been created. And God, I can't comprehend that because we all come from something. But not you. You just are. You just, I mean, talk your way through that and pretty soon you, you, won't, you won't have to have anything to look at. You won't have to have anything to picture. You just realize that you're talking to a self-existent God. So that's where, that's where, man, this really comes into play. Let me tell you, when I'm, when I'm in prayer tomorrow, I'll be thinking about what we're going to be talking about in a minute, which is God is life. We'll get there in a second. But transferable attributes of God. Now, why, why is that important? Because we're going to look at a bunch of things over the next few Sunday nights that God is, that you can be too. And that ought to motivate the daylights out of all of us, and it doesn't because we're motivated by stuff and fun and money. Or what I said this morning, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The desire to do, desire to have, desire to be. That's what drives us. And so when I say, there's some things about God that you can become. That's good. That's that's good, Pastor. And by the way, myself included, we're just not motivated by like that. It ought to be to us. Wait a minute. You're talking about the King of Glory that we talked about last week. The King of Glory sitting upon His throne, and He is the source of all these things. And there's a way that I can be like Him doesn't motivate us, but it should. But by the way, it probably does to some degree. So take that little spark of motivation that you feel in your heart, that little spark of desire. Yes, I, I want to be what Jesus is. And let it grow. And don't put it out, by the way. If there's a song that puts out that fire, don't listen to that song. If there's a movie that puts out that fire, forget about the argument of, well, I don't, you know, when the Bible says that this is right. Forget those stupid arguments and don't let that movie put out your fire. It's better to keep that fire burning than to let that, uh, enjoy that movie for an hour and a half and the fire's gone. Feed the fire. The transferable attributes of God, those characteristics that can be shared with his creation. Now, here's some things to think about. His creation. Now, we're so selfish and self-centered that obviously we're thinking right away, oh, that's me. Yeah, it is you. But there's more to creation out there. All right? So let's, let's think about all of creation for a second. Many of God's attributes, his transferable attributes, are seen as inherent elements of God's creation, giving glory to their creator by emulating his nature. What does that mean? Okay. 
How many of you have any kind of a plant in your yard that you would be, you're, you're totally expecting it to bud and blossom and bloom? And I mean, you would just be, it would, it would just be what's going on if it didn't do it because it does it every year. My, my parents have a beautiful cherry tree in their backyard. And it, it, it blooms and blossoms. I don't never know which, are those interchangeable, bloom and blossom, whatever. Um, to different degrees each year. Some years it's breathtaking. And some years it's, it's uh, oh well, not such a good year. But every year it does something. How many of you have any kind of a plant, flower, tree, something? I mean, you just know that within the next couple of weeks, it's going to turn green or whatever color it's going to turn. Okay. Why is that? Because plant life is faithful. Faithfulness is an attribute of plant life. How much of science is faithful? So I'm talking about how much of what we observe in science is faithful. Where does creation get its faithfulness? From the creator. Faithfulness is one of the transferable attributes that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. So... Having illustrated that, let me state that again. Many of these attributes, the attributes of God, the transferable attributes of God, are seen as inherent elements of God's creation, giving glory to their creator by emulating his nature. I'm all excited about bulbs this year. Why? Because every year we've been married 25 years this year, and every year I have intended to plant bulbs for my wife. And last fall, I did it for the first time. I bought a box of 100 bulbs from Amazon, and we went out there, and we planted them. And uh, so I'm, I'm the tulip man now. Not the, not the tulip man, the tulip man. <laughs> um. And so I'm, you know, I'm I finally, hey, I got it done before our 25th anniversary. I got it done in year 24. Every year I said, we're going to put some bulbs in. We're going to put some bulbs in the ground. We're gonna put, I've planted other stuff, but I've never got around to the bulb tulips. This year we did. And they're coming up. And it's, it's so exciting. You know what those tulips is? They're, uh, the, the tulips are, they're about that far above the soil right now, most of them. You know what? That's why, by the way, if you're here Wednesday night and that, you go, what's that for? It's because I'm excited about tulips right now, all right? And uh, do you, do you know what it's saying? Glory to the faithful God, my creator. He's faithful. I'm faithful because I emulate my creator. Isn't that awesome? Inherent elements of God creation, God's creation giving glory to their creator by emulating his nature. Hey, get this, every good, positive, virtuous quality of creation is a direct reflection of the character of God. Good qualities of creation are possible only because of, of the goodness of the Creator. So you're driving out west and you see the Rocky Mountains. 
If you're ever driving to the, or flying, flying to the West Coast and you go over the Rocky Mountains if, you're on, if it's a clear day. And the pilot may tell you, hey, look out. Dude, look out there right there. You know, like that. <laughs> Thank you, pilot. Um, you look out the right window or the left window, whatever. There's the Rocky Mountains down there. Oh, man. Even from, even from 30,000 feet in the air, they're so majestic. Here's what's crazy. I mean, like Pike's Peak is 14,000 feet. So Pike's Peak is halfway up to the airplane. But you're driving through and you look. So many things that you would say, that is just so majestic. Well, where did they get majestic from? Their majestic creator. Just a reflection of God. You don't have to go to the Rocky Mountains to see a glorious sunrise. You just got to get up early tomorrow morning. One of the things about our our house, now the way the the couch is arranged, you, you can't sit there and look at it, but that's okay. It's just it's it's not Amy's fault. It's just the way the the thing is set up, the floor plan. But um, we do have a big picture window in the in the living room. That faces east. And so you can look out that picture window. And uh, well, I mean, we live so close to the Connecticut line. We live in New York, but we live so close to the Connecticut line that literally when you look out our living room window, you're looking at Connecticut. It's like New Fairfield right there. But on the other side of the, of the tree line there, some of the most glorious sunrises. Glorious Sunrise. How can a sunrise be glorious? Because it is emulating its glorious creator. Now, I illustrated it. Let me read that statement again because I want you to think about this when you see the amazing qualities of creation. Every good, positive, virtuous quality of creation is a direct reflection of the character of God. Good qualities of creation are possible only because of the goodness of the creator. All right, let's fly here because I want to get to the, the heart of this. But he, he, consider this. The greatest glory that the creation can give to its creator is to emulate the creator's character. But wait a minute. Man's sin disqualifies him from giving glory to God through emulation. Isn't that sick? We've been disqualified. We've been disqualified and we don't care that every other element of creation can be majestic or faithful or glorious. But because all have sinned, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we are disqualified from doing what the flowers do that ought to make us sick to our stomach that ought to make us grieve and mourn and weep but praise the lord god's plan of redemption restores man's opportunity and ability to give glory to his creator by emulating his creator's character we got another chance we get another chance through jesus christ praise the lord man And so our most direct means of glorifying God on a daily basis 
is to let God do his work of sanctification in us, which simply means God making us like Jesus Christ. Maybe if I let God do his work of sanctification and make me more like Jesus Christ, maybe, maybe I'll get as good at emulating my creator as the tree in my front yard is. Maybe. Yeah. I'm telling you, we, we, we disqualified ourselves. We forfeited what our pets do by nature. Now, very first transferable attribute of God that we're going to talk about is life. Okay? And I should have done this already, but it's all where is still time. Let's have the teenagers be group one tonight. Ladies group two, men group three. So everybody 18 years old and under, group one, and you're going to turn to Genesis 2. I didn't tell you where to turn, did I? Genesis 2, group one, Genesis 2. Everybody 18 and under, Genesis 2. All of the ladies, 19 and over, turn to John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1. And all of the men, 19 and over, 1 John chapter 5. This will go quickly, but let's hit it. God is life. All right, group number one is in Genesis 2. Group number two is in John 1. Group number three is in 1 John 5. All right, teenagers ready? Group number one, Genesis 2, 7. Genesis 2, 7. Read it for us, please. Ready? And. Amen. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. How is that possible? Because God is life. So God breathed out life. Man breathed in life. Man had life. Where did he get it? From life. What do you mean? God is life. All right. Group number two, ladies, you're in John chapter one. John chapter one is that magnificent chapter that introduces Jesus Christ to us as the word. And as life and as light. So John chapter 1, verse number 4. Ladies, read that for us, please. Amen. So in Jesus was life. And it says past tense. It's not, it's not that it's not anymore. He is, he is describing Jesus as a, as a, in a narrative. And so it's, it's not the past tense, but it is, is narrated as in past tense, if that makes sense to you. All right, men, group number three, first John five, verse number 11, first John five, verse number 11, go ahead. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. All righty. So listen carefully. We just read three different verses that tells us that God is life. Now, let's think about this. God is life. God does not possess life. He is life. Apart from God, there is no life in the universe. That's something you could ponder all day long. Apart from God, I mean, apart from God, there's no universe, but 
we're talking about life, so more specifically, apart from God, there is no life in the universe. One reason that we don't value life in our society is we don't really believe that. Apart from God, there is no life in the universe. No other source of life exists besides God. Everything and everyone in the universe that possesses life received it from God. No one is disconnected from the life that is in God. I don't care if they're an atheist. You know, it doesn't matter. Everybody who has life, which is everybody, everything that has life, got it from God. He's the only source of life. God is life. He doesn't deal in life. He's not a, a, you know, a, a, uh, uh, a retailer of life. He is life. All right, so let's give three observations on this. First of all, the first thing I can do and must do to connect with God is to receive his gift of life through Jesus Christ. That's why we started with life in this study, in this part of the study here, because that's how you start with God. you got to receive his gift of life. You don't have spiritual life. By the way, you don't have life until you have spiritual life. Because until you get saved, you're not living, you're dying. But you get saved, God gives you eternal life, now you're living. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. I tell you what, let's, uh, let's Colossians chapter, let's do one, two, and three again. Group one, let's have the teenagers. All right, te- no, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, group one's teenagers. Uh, teenagers, group one, Colossians chapter three. Why doing that group two, ladies, John chapter 10. And group three, men, John 17. And this will finish us out. When we're done with this, I'll wrap it up with a concluding thought. We'll be finished. First thing I can do and must do to connect with God is to receive his gift of life through Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then we go to Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 4. That would be the teenagers, group number 1, Colossians 3, verse number 4. Go ahead. All right. Christ is our life. Christ is our life. Jesus Christ is our source of life. All right? And then finally, the last point, but two verses on this point, John 10, verse number 10. Uh, ladies, go ahead and John 10, 10. Amen. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life. That's, that's his sheep. That's us. That they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And then John 17, verse number 3. Men, read that. John 17, 3. Go ahead. Okay. So, in, uh, as we talked about the non-transferable attributes of God, we just basically focused on what does that mean? What does that mean to us? But in these transferable attributes, we're talking about not only what does that mean, 
But how does that change me? How can I get what he is and have it be part of me? Well, uh, that brings us to the third observation on that. The closer I get to God and the more I become like him, the more of life I will possess. Now, as long as you think and define life as breathing and your heart is beating, you're not going to understand that. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more you begin to comprehend what life really is. And those of you that were saved as adults and you knew somebody that was saved and you, but when you were unsaved, and they would say things to you like, man, you don't know what life is. You thought you, and, and you know, you were, you were drunk or high or whatever, and you're going, ah, you don't know what life is. Well, now you look back and you go, man, were they ever right? I didn't know what life is. And I say to you, if you hear that statement, the closer I get to God, the more I become like him, the more of life I will possess. And you say, what does that mean? Get closer to him and you'll know. Because I got to be honest, it's something I can't put into words. But there's a joy, there's an energy, there's a victory, there's a peace that comes with life that you only know as you get closer to the life. All right, let's conclude with this thought. We've said it week after week, but our motive for studying God and Bible doctrine must always be a passion for God. Jeremiah 29, 13, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Let's stand together tonight.